Amazon benders alike. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And this is Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. And we were so excited, weren't we, buddy, to have the awesome Jason Manzukas on board to talk about the Northern Air Temple with us last week. He was amazing. Great conversation. However, we realized we were talking so much about the big themes of the episode and the series in general, which Jason had so many great thoughts about, that we didn't really spend that much time on the things that make that episode and Avatar in general so special. All the machines and the gadgets and stuff like Jason mentioned that tips its hand towards where we go in the Korra era. That's right. We really steered clear of that stuff because we were getting into some heavy, deep emotional themes, which, as you know, is always a thrill for me. We kind of skimmed over that stuff. So we thought, why not have a conversation that does celebrate some of the marvelous gadgetry and inventions of not just the mechanist, uh, but maybe even some of the other aspects of other episodes of Book One of Avatar. Then it became like, if you want to talk about stuff like that, who do you even ask? Is there such a person that it would even be worth talking to? And then we were like, oh, Oh, yes, there is. And his name is one of my favorite people, Adam Savage. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> I know, there's like actually no one better in the world to talk oh. to about these gadgetry things than Adam Savage. Oh, shucks. I am so excited to see you. We were describing your workshop in the background, and it really is one of those things that everything is just far away enough that... Anything could be anything. There's (laughs) slots of things and stacks and piles. It's real deal, you guys. Yeah. Adam, right now, we're looking at his background, and it looks like the background of a mad scientist genius. A lot of tools. I feel like I would lose a finger on every device. Uh, Actually, early on in COVID, I almost lost a finger here in the shop. Oh, my. I did. I can't believe you just did that. And in the episode that we just recapped with Jason, the mechanist actually has lost three of the fingers on one of his hands. That's true. The glee with which the mechanist pops those fingers off and hurls them at Sokka really tells you that sometimes you're not wrong when you think that a scientist is an imp. The Mechanist for sure would have been a part of the Mythbusters crew easily. Absolutely. And also I feel like King Boomy, he would have been the guy who created a bunch of stuff to try to fool the Mythbusters. He would be like their playful nemesis. The playful thing is a real specific aspect of him that I really dug because there's a way in which Avatar always has so many different frames in each episode. But one that they never lose sight of is what would two nine-year-olds think of this world, place, forest? There's just so much freaking joy of like, you see all these slides, someone's going to ride them by the end of the episode. Yes. If I were a kid watching that show, I would be like, oh, please put me inside there. Put me inside there because I want to get on those slides and just scoot all over town, right? Every time Aang exercises any of his power, there's a joy to it that is like, if you gave a nine-year-old superpowers, that would be the look on their face. Yes, absolutely. you got to open your brain to the possibilities. A package sending system? The world's greatest super slide. Boomy, you're a mad genius. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that point you said, Adam, because we always discuss these heavy themes that go on in the episode, including this episode, whether it be genocide or abuse. But... Like you said, they never forget that they're also looking at it. If a nine-year-old's watching this cartoon, is that nine-year-old, are they enjoying it? 
And sometimes we get swept up in that. Like in a recent episode that we watched, Aang calls someone Master Poophead. And <laughs> sometimes the moments really stand out to you where you're like, oh, that's right. I I can easily analyze this as if it were Kierkegaard. Yet at the end of the day, I may hear a little farting sound or someone might be called Master Poophead. You can't keep us here. Let us leave. Let us leave? We're in serious trouble. This guy is nuts. Speaking of uh, how many ways it can be analyzed, I wanted to let you know, and I'm not sure if you did know, that at Weta Workshop down in Wellington, New Zealand, which is an extended part of my family, there is a weekly meetup to discuss Avatar The Last Airbender. <gasps> I didn't what? know that. I love that. I will say that rings true for me because I was at Hobbiton and a person came up to me and sort of like tapped me lightly on the shoulder and then shyly lifted up their leg and there was this amazing earthbender symbol on their leg. And they were like, I just wanted you to know that an earthbender works at Hobbiton. And I was like, <laughs> of course an of course, earthbender makes works complete at Hobbiton. Sense. Absolutely. It's always crazy when the tattoos come out because you know you're part <laughs> of one of those projects that have impacted somebody so much that they are going to put ink on their body for the rest of their life to represent that. One of the things that I love, and I think a really good reason to have you on the show, is that you, as we talk about these things that stretch across these age spans that appeal to both kids and adults, you are one of those people who in life have a grown-up job that kids are like, if that's what growing up looks like, I'm good. Yeah, so many totally. kids are like, you just get to do those voices and that's your job? And we're like, yeah, believe it or not, we kind of get to do that. And you are a sterling in the flesh example of somebody that what you do appeals to so many different age groups. Do you have a lot of young people who come up and go, I want to be like you when I grow up, but do I have to grow up? Because it feels like I wouldn't have to. I said this in the book that I wrote a couple years ago, that, that I consider myself a human permission slip to do the weird stuff you want to do. Uh, and you guys both know that the different projects that you work on have different people that are activated by those. So there's all these different demographics that come to you based on the project. That's one of the reasons I think we all like doing cons, too, is that one-on-one -on -one engagement where you really feel like you see... Like, when I come back from a con, I feel that the world is in good hands for later right? on. Right. At any day I'm doing a con, I usually don't get to sleep till 2 or 3 in the morning because I'm just so wired from that conversation. Absolutely. It's very different than someone tweeting at you than for them to be standing right in front of you and explaining why this meant so much to them. Totally. I love that you invited me to talk about the mechanics and the mechanicals of Avatar. I grew up on the Super Friends, right? Yes. Re I think that was animated on sixes, right? Like four frames per second. It was <laughs> super low-res animation. It's pretty crude. And the physics were barely there. And still we were like, oh, every Saturday morning, you know? One of the things I like to point out about my favorite filmmakers is that they never leave you confused by what's happening. Oh, yes. For instance, nobody's better than Spielberg at an action sequence because you never are in doubt about where you are in physical space. Yes. And Filoni well is mind-blowing about doing that, about making the physics of the fights feel real, even the way air wraps around an opponent when he's fighting a jet. They don't have to be as right as they are, but Boy, does it build like a much more cohesive and deep world because they do actually cohere. Those physics feel right when they happen. 
I love that you said that because that is something that anybody who has been kind of keeping up with a podcast along the way knows that was such a huge thing for Mike and Brian. Like we had an episode with Sifu Kisu and with Brian Konetsko, one of the creators. Sifu Kisu is the fight choreographer uh, and the martial arts expert for both series. And they really talked about the physics. I think they come from that same background of creating a world that has rules, establishing right. that and then not breaking them. And you're right, that grounds us all into, ironically, the suspension of disbelief. What allows yeah. us to suspend our disbelief is these specific, if magical, rules. So you don't get lost. So you're not like, well, wait a minute. I just thought, but I didn't know you. Come right. on, you know? And they really <laughs> exactly. paid attention to that. And they wanted it, the breath to come from the body and the movements to be very physical. Right, Bosco? They're great at that. Actually, there's one thing that I get guilty of all the time, which a lot of Avatar fans tell me, like, don't science Avatar. And guess what we're doing today, you guys? We're going to science Avatar just a little bit. Harry Potter, Star Wars, none of it's real, but it's based on these real elements that we are aware of. And, and whoever can do it in a way that doesn't distract us from the storytelling is really doing it really great. We're not supposed to science Avatar, but then we get an episode like the Northern Air Temple. This is a sciencey episode. Well, I mean, if they want to start talking about the smell of rotten eggs and natural gas, uh, we are going to science that. Thank you very much. Yes, files. <laughs> yes. Oh, don't worry. That experiment's old, and that egg was just part of last week's lunch. Ah, weak old egg smell. Quick, find that egg. The other thing is, like, often when people say don't science something, they mean don't yuck my yum, don't harsh my yes, mellow yes, by saying, yes, well, yes. they couldn't do that. But I'm noticing as I watch Airbender, it doesn't seem like they're holding any specific type of kung fu movie style either. There are scenes that are like wuxia type scenes. There are scenes that are much more knockdown, drag out. And there's also within each action sequence of like multiple steps. I mean, so many episodes are like Rube Goldberg machines in terms of how the final thing ends up happening. Oh, absolutely. And my friend, I'm going to send you the app with Brian and Sifu Kisu that has all the details on martial arts styles, but... Also in all that, the emotion still comes across, right? There's still within that lots of beats of emotionality that I'm always surprised by. Like when Aang is rolling his back over the stone in his battle with his old friend, the Earthbender. Yeah. The slow motion and Aang's fear at that moment, it just feels so narratively robust. I'm all the way in involved with the characters every time I turn on an episode like that. Well, you mentioned Spielberg. Were there other fictional worlds that you felt like, as a younger person, you were really transfixed by the kind of mechanics of the world? I know yeah. you have a relationship to Guillermo del Toro, and I will say that's another person where you feel the time and care. All you know, you the feel way the time and yeah. care of Peter Jackson. Were there people like that that you were idolizing as a young person? Alien came out when I was oh, yeah. 14. Yes. And... I was too afraid to go see it in the theater, and I was right. I would have yeah. run screaming from the theater. <laughs> yeah. But my dad was an artist, and so my sister was an artist, and they had seen it, and I asked them both to draw the alien for me, and they both drew totally different pictures, <laughs> which I was like, what is this movie that two artists can come up with competing views? And then I read the David Allen Foster novelization and I obsessed over the blue collar aesthetic of Alien that really lived right, in like, right, right. these are spacesuits that aren't romantic at all. They're yeah. like mud boots. And the characters are just like working class astronauts. Exactly. Like, we're just doing this thing. Yeah. 
Plumbers, yeah. Pause for one second. I want the, the listeners out there, don't miss the fact that when Adam watched Aliens, it was a time where you can't go on the internet and go, what does that alien look like? He asked someone, two people to draw the picture. Yes. That just doesn't go on the, did you see that thing? Can you draw me a picture of it? <laughs> <laughs> that would not enter anyone's mind today. They would just go straight to the internet and Google and hit images. So you're reminding me, I built my first lightsaber from going to the Magic of the Myth exhibition at Yerba Buena Art Center here in 1993. And I did sketches of a lightsaber oh, wow. and I came back to Jamie's shop and I lathed myself a lightsaber based on those sketches wow. and I still have the lightsaber but then you go to a con right and you see someone cosplaying a bender for example they are doing that even in the era of super sophisticated gaming and sophisticated effects that you see in films at the end of the day someone comes up and they've made their own Katara dress and outfit and then yeah. they've got attached to their wrists fishing line with blue fabric and then you turn on a fan and Katara's water bending and yeah. that is super analog and those are just as wonderful of costumes as the person who looks exactly like a stormtrooper or the person who yeah. has all kinds of beeps and boops coming out of them because they've got like a whole system wired inside their outfit we still feel so much joy when we see people handcraft things to symbolize magic in some way, right? The other part of that, Janet, is that when you ask them to bend, they'll hit a pose. Yes. I haven't encountered anyone who couldn't nail it, and they nail it because the creators of the show are thinking air and water, these are weapons just as much as something they might hold in their hand, and we feel that as the audience. We feel like we can know how to what, what we're going to do to bend water or air. We understand the physical motion. Absolutely. That's been designed and baked in. I don't know how these creators make it so detailed that we understand that it's real. It feels like it's tapping right into a nine-year-old brain. So story right. about tree houses, speaking of the episode of Jet. Yes. Because um, I love the hideout. I love all that stuff. We'll take the stuff back to the hideout. You guys have a hideout? You want to see it? Yes, we want to see it. We're here. Where? There's nothing here. Hold this. Why? What's this do? Hang. I'll get up on my own. What do you think about Jet real quick, Adam? Just Like the up. actual character of Jet. The actual character? He's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> there have been a lot of conversations about people trying to change the bad boy. Oh, really? The most polarizing yeah. character in all of Avatar Airbender. Don't get me wrong. I understand why he's dreamy, but he's also a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Then I see the episode and I'm like, that's what I want. Ewok platforms all through the There's forest. There's something deeply ingrained in a lot of us. Just that's the ideal way to live. What if we're like, oh, a safe, perfect Eden where oh we're safe from predators? It might make a little bit of sense that somewhere in our body we're like, yes, treehouse, yes. I think you unlocked it. I think you unlocked our inner mm -hmm. tribal animal instinct to live in trees. Totally agree. I think so. And seeing Jet with his hooks and stuff, we see two different modes of getting through treetops, as you would see a monkey do, with Aang and his airbending and his ability to do it that way. And then Jet, who doesn't even have bending powers, but who can still move in yeah. a completely sophisticated, totally effortless way through the treetops. It is so enviable. I almost envy 
that more than certain other types of bending or other moments in bending. Right. Just give me Jet's hooks. They're pretty powerful. Oh, I love the hook swords. Since I was a young kid, I questioned those hook swords. Most swords have no hooks. So if they were that powerful, more swords would be made with hooks, right? So a sword is differentially heated. So it's got a softer middle and harder edges. And that's so that it holds its sharp edge. But if you had this come around, forging it, could likely be difficult enough to render them uh, complete fiction. Because trying to get a forged thing to bend around and hold that bend and also to hold an edge within that, I don't, I don't know. It does seem like a lot of snapping could happen. Like, ugh, I broke my hook sword again. Right. <laughs> How about those tanks that reverse in the Northern Air Temple one when they're coming up the hill? I mean, I don't even know what to call they it. Flip. They just flip upside down. When they hit the tank, the tank would flip over, but they can ride upside down, right side up. It was always like a water balance inside the tank, which they ended up breaking in order to uh, stop these tanks. Oh, tank drives that turn upside down is totally a reasonable design feature of a tank. So you have kids. I was going to ask you this earlier. You have two boys. Mm -hmm. How do they reconcile their normal life being with a dad who to other kids couldn't even possibly be a dad because he's just too cool and up in his own stuff with making things and collecting stuff and having like the hook from this and the sword from that and the... They grew up with a full-size R2-D2 in their bedroom. Every night I'd recite Jabberwocky with lightsabers. (laughs) But their suspension of disbelief is... Just as strong as anybody else's. It has been very funny over... They're 22 now. Raising them and showing them my favorite movies. Like, they were super dismissive of the special effects for RoboCop. They were like, well, that Ed 209 looks terrible. And I'm like, it does not look terrible. That is Phil <laughs> Tibbetts' work. Do show respect. <laughs> okay, with Avatar questions, now that I have you... I have, like, the myth buster here. Oh, yeah. I haven't even talked about this with Varney yet, but... Oh, this is exciting. I have done... You can call them bending things in my life. Things have had happened that I can't even explain that were Bender-esque, right? So I was moving doors in my house one time for some reason. I don't know how it happened. I could feel the door from far away, and the door would move with my hand. I'm across the room. Yeah, It's a small hallway, so maybe the air was thick in there or something. But literally, like, the door was moving with my hand in unison. Is that possible? It is certainly possible. The causality is the question. Okay. Causality. I'm sure Janet can do the trick where she can say everything you're saying as you're saying it. Right. Like that Uh improv thing. (laughs) It certainly could be that you're doing something in conjunction with the door, but the causality is reversing in your head. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting way of putting that, actually, because I didn't even know what you meant until the very end when you said you reverse it. So your brain is actually thinking. Your brain is just moving in unison with it. Mm -hmm. Your brain is switching the two. Yeah. And then another weird thing that happened, I had these batteries. I don't know why it occurred to me, but I, I knocked the batteries together and then turned the TV off. And then I knocked them back together again and it turned the TV on. What is that? <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad that you've been sitting on these. I don't know what kind of bending that is, but Adam, what is that? What I is have that? no idea, but I do want to tell you there's a build I want to do here in the cave. My grandfather was a maker. He was a surgeon. 
and he had a remote control volume on his television in 1970. Wow. That's, yeah. That, that was back thing. when it was a knob you pulled to turn the television on. Right. And then that was also the volume knob. Of course. I so what my that. grandfather did was he took a tin can lid and he screwed it to that knob. So you pulled on the lid and then he wrapped a string around that lid and ran it through two eye hooks. So you basically had like a rope that went through a thing around the volume knob and then back out another eye hook so you could turn you could adjust the volume with these reins on the television. That is what awesome. man will do to not give up from his TV couch. <laughs> that is some like Marty McFly waking up in the morning. I love that. And again, we are so used to very sophisticated technology, but we're all still totally delighted by causality in the physical world if mm -hmm. you t take someone into a room and there's a little ball bearing machine that does all these cool things or you set up an amazing array of dominoes and then you knock them down we are filled with the same level of wonder if not more so as right. we are from something that is done through CG. I think it has to do with a similar reason we love sunsets is because it feels like this remarkable thing that the world has aligned for our pleasure at this moment. And actually, this brings up another Avatar thing, which is I watched the whole first season a couple of years ago and rewatching them this time, I was really stricken by if you pause at any point, the frame is almost always really beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. so beautifully rendered. And then there's that shot where Jet is taking her up the tree the yeah. first time and yes. that look on her face, oh. that joy. Yes. Uh, and yes. it's like all of that having a fresh crush when you're 10, 11 years old, all that feeling, the, the exhilaration. And, you know, now we know because we understand brains better that like at that age, everything is so much more heightened emotionally and physically that you literally are never going to feel that good again right. in your whole life as right. you did singing along with the Eagles in your friend's car at 19. <laughs> Exactly. And you see all that on her face. I feel like every time I watch that show, I'm seeing someone who's paying attention to all the stages of our development as people and kind of celebrating each one of them. Yes, you're right. As they're going up into the tree lair, there's some beautiful effects that you're like, I'm so glad that they save this for yeah. these moments. Right? Right. And rising. I'm rising. I'm in love. All the metaphors are extant. It's so lovely. Also, the other thing that occurred to me while you were talking was how much deeply hilarious physical comedy there is. Absolutely. We had Benjamin Wynn, who does all of the sound on the show, and we gave him a hard time because we said that he must have blown his whole budget on the slide whistle because the slide whistle, <laughs> it's an old classic, and it works for comedic effect every time. It's easy to always refer to cartoons and think of them as a lesser art. I think culturally, we naturally accrete towards doing that. I knew somebody who got themselves to Japan about 20 years ago to meet Hayao Miyazaki. And just a quick note for the listeners, we've talked about Miyazaki several times on the podcast. But just in case you keep hearing us say that name and you don't know who we're talking about, check out some of his films. You could see Spirited Away, hugely famous, a beautiful movie, Princess Mononoke. Anyway, sorry, Adam, I digress. Yeah. One of my all-time great favorite filmmakers. Of course. And they asked him why he didn't make live-action movies. And he said, why would I? 
I have everything I need in this mm. room to make any universe I want. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like there's that amount of filmmaking celebration in the making of Airbender. Like, we're just going to make something that's cinematically magnificent. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the balance of what Avatar is and why Avatar became the gateway drug to anime. Mm-hmm. It has the elements of American animation, which the legacy is Looney Tunes and slapstick comedy and having those elements of the fun American animation. But then what the Japanese anime brought in was really these heavier themes, this more cinematic way of telling stories in animation that America wasn't really doing. Avatar has a really great way of just weaving the two together. And the characters change over the course of the show. They change way more than Josie and the Pussycats ever did. Hey, you know, (laughs) I don't think they were thinking about that over the years. Right. Yogi Bear, episode one, is Yogi Bear episode 100. I mean, it's Yogi Bear. That's one of the things that we've seen happen in animation through the years as we continue to adapt comic books, right? Because comic books do allow for a lot of evolution. Somebody comes in and has a new voice. How is Kelly Sue DeConnick, who, in case folks don't know, is just an amazing artist and storyteller who had a huge impact on the world of Captain Marvel. What is she going to bring to this? And if you are one of those minds that is able to crack something new open out of a character, a beloved franchise, what have you, then you can build the world all over again. And now we're seeing more and more those places that we can really make the animation thematically sophisticated but still appeal to younger people that there is this whole rich multi-layered world that you can create with each project okay i want to go back to some avatar science for a second in this episode of the northern air temple sokka is going down this tunnel with the mechanist and he's holding a lantern the lantern he discovers as he opens it up is full of fireflies and the mechanist reveals that it's because he can't have open flame around this room that he has because the room is full of natural gas but the gas doesn't have an odor or anything like that so he has no way of knowing where it is but Sokka, the mechanist, and an old rotten egg create a solution. How could something that's so small you can't even see it make such a big stink? That's the solution to our problem. Yeah, if we put a whole mess of rotten eggs in the cellar where the gas seeps up, the gas will mix with the smell of rotten eggs. Then if there's a leak, you smell rotten eggs. Then you just follow your nose to the place where the smell is coming from and plug up the hole where the gas is escaping. You're a genius! And they call each other genius. In the context of the show, you're like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if that were true? We gave natural gas a bad smell, so that's how we would know where it was or whatever. (laughs) Exactly. That is what happened. Right, Adam? Actually, that is true. The best science teachers I had, and I submit that if you had a great science teacher, it was because they told the stories of science really well. And a bad science teacher leads you to believe that science is a whole bunch of facts to memorize by Tuesday's quiz. Right. Right. And a good science teacher teaches you that it's a set of stories that we build to tell ourselves about the universe. And this picture of the universe is not a picture of the universe. It's a picture of our best guesstimate of what the universe looks like today, and that everything's going to change tomorrow. I love that. But it's a story rather than a pinpoint. 
probably been easier to memorize the stuff if I knew that story instead of all those <laughs> dang facts they were trying to get me to, to remember. Stories are how we remember. Stories are yeah. how we build narratives to totally. be like, you know what, if I turn around and I don't have my sharpened stick when the saber-toothed tiger comes out there, I'm going to be lunch. It's a set of actions, not just one thing to know. Right. Adam, before we let you go, we definitely would love to hear from you based on your own experience of watching the show if you would be a certain type of bender, if the sort of physics of one type of bending appeals more. Or if you can't decide, tell us why you can't decide and tell us some elements of each of those bending powers that you admire about them that makes it so hard to choose. It would be a real toss-up for me between water and earth. If you could do a Myers-Briggs for people and what their bending power would be, I would absolutely be an earthbender. Okay, I love that you brought a real-life psychological questionnaire into this, but it makes sense. My hands have to be on things in order for me to understand them. I ground myself with the things around me. But I was also a real fish in the water when I was a kid. And Mm. my mom was a bit overprotective. And one of the ways that I dealt with that was by becoming really competent. And I could hold my breath for two or three minutes and swim really well. And my ears are messed up now, so I can't put my head underwater. I haven't really been in the water in 10 years. And it's a sad loss. Like, I miss the water. I feel it whenever water's being bent on the show. Oh, I I love that. My heart just broke for you because I want you back in the water. And we all have things that we can't do anymore, or many of us do. I certainly do. But what a special treasure for you to also have, if anything, to be able to go, ugh, I relate even harder to having been able to do that and to loving this waterbending because I'm not going to have a bad experience in the water where my head's underwater now because I'm probably not going to put myself in that situation. So everything is sort of preserved as it was when you could do all of those things. And I think there's something kind of beautiful about that. So I just got inspired by that, that we can maybe pitch a story to Mike and Brian about a great waterbender since she was a child, but through things that happened in their life, they can no longer waterbend. They can actually no longer even go back into the water. But somehow, magically in the world, through things that happen, his waterbending gets transferred into earthbending, and he becomes an earthbender. Oh. I love it. How about that as a spinoff series? Not the Avatar, but his bending powers transferred from water to earth. The character's name is Savage. <laughs> <laughs> you were asking me about what I would be bending, and... When I thought about water, when I thought about being in the water as a kid and the way it felt, I think that the creators of the show are, have built in an idea of the bender themselves needs to literally be with what they're bending on this molecular level, right? That there's a consciousness that you are matching of yours to the material that you're moving. And they didn't have to go that far in terms of their own internal knowledge about it. And yet they did. And it's not even text, but we all understand. And that's part of Aang's journey, watching him and watching them learn how to do the bending that they do. Obviously, it's a metaphor for creativity, for being able to find your true self and figure out what you want to do. Oh, that's so perfect. I mean, you you are a bender, Adam. You're the one of those people that take things apart but can put them back together. And also, if you're an earthbender, in your case, you would be an earthbender who (laughs) was a metal bender. So I know people are going to be like, wait a minute, even more so, wouldn't Adam be a metal bender? And I would say the answer is yes, he definitively would be an earthbender who had metal bending powers. Actually, a metal bender in real life, he's bending all kinds of materials every day. I think on Mythbusters, I have bent fire 
air, That's water, true. and metal. I know. This is a very strong <laughs> argument for an avatar. You are an avatar for sure. Absolutely. This has been such a treat. It's exactly what we would have hoped this conversation would be. Thank you so much for doing this with us, friend. This was so much fun. Adam, thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. I love this show. I love that the world has this show in it to celebrate it. And everyone I've ever met who loves Avatar... It's just a very wonderful group of open, loving people because it's an open and loving show. And I'm just so grateful it exists. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. Next week, we'll be recapping episode 18, The Waterbending Master. And as a special treat, we'll be talking to Johanna Brady, who played Princess Yue. Follow us on social media. I'm at Janet Varney on Twitter, at the JV Club on Instagram. You are at Dante Bosco basically everywhere, Everywhere, right? except for on TikTok, at Dante. We'll see everybody next Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.